Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. Welcome to part one of V is for Vengeance. I had a few options to choose from on my list of V words um, and and did a little uh, preliminary exploration on each of those words and settled pretty quickly on vengeance. In the process of preparing for this episode, I learned a lot. It surprised me some of the things that I saw when I started digging, and I'm curious to see if you are also surprised. There is some, some stuff well worth talking about here with regard to vengeance. And, and then later in, in part two, towards the end of part two, we're going to have some fun with the, with the German word schadenfreude, which is just fun to say, never mind, it's an interesting concept, and the imprecatory psalms, which is interesting and not at all pleasant. Let's begin, however, by looking at the Greek word that in our Bible is translated vengeance. Maybe the best-known verse for that is uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord." That verse always made me sort of screw up my face because I didn't understand it. I never, I never took the time to dig into it, find out what was going on, until I got to doing my prep for this episode. And like I said, that's when I found some stuff that surprised me. I always assumed that vengeance was a bad thing. It says here, we're not to go after vengeance, so it must be bad, right? And as it turns out, that's not the case at all. And I should have figured that out when the second half of that verse says, leave it to God because vengeance belongs to the Lord. It can't be a bad thing if God does it. So what's going on here? All right, let's take a look at the Greek word. Don't don't sweat it now. This is not going to be difficult. We're not going to jump into the weeds at all. But we're going to identify that there is a Greek word, dikaios. Dikaios means righteous. There are uh, a number of words that grow out of that word dikaios. One is dikaiosune, which is righteousness. There are uh, the negative forms. So there's what? Three, four, five, maybe forms that come out of the root dikaios, which means righteous. Okay, the word for vengeance, this is, this is where the cool stuff starts. The word for vengeance is ek dike, oh, that's hard to say, ek dikesis. Ek dikesis. But that second part, dikesis, and if you could see the letters, you'd realize is related to dikaios. Ek, the prefix, means out of. It's where we get our English word exit. It means something that comes out of. So, for example, you're probably familiar with the Greek word ekklesia. Ek, out of, klesia, kaleo, to call. It is a group of people who are called out from another group. The church is an ecclesia. It is a called out group. They come out of society and are together as a church, as an ecclesia. Okay, here we've got ekdikesis, which means it comes out of righteousness, out of dikaios. It is something that flows from righteousness, and it's attached 
to righteousness. Righteousness is the source of vengeance. Boy, see, this is where it starts turning me on my head. Um, the word is not is not negative. It's a positive word, and it has, do you remember last week we used the word antecedents? One of those antecedents is that there is a standard of righteousness um, in, in lots of different formats, in lots of different environments. There is a standard of righteousness. It may be codified. It may be written down. It may be informal and sort of universally agreed upon. Um, social manners, all right? You sit down at a table with a group of people to eat. It is dikaios, that you chew with your mouth closed. That's not written down anywhere, but it's just good. It's right. It's correct. So we start out with the, uh, with the antecedent that there is a standard of righteousness. When that standard is broken there is an appropriate outcome. There is something that flows from the breaking of that standard. The, uh, the standard itself implies that there will be an outcome if the standard is broken. If I chew with my mouth open at a table uh, with my friends at dinner, they're going to be grossed out, and they're probably going to not want me at their next gathering. Now, that's a social faux pas, right? We understand that. But if I break the law, if I do 65 in a 45 and I get pulled over, there is an expected and appropriate and right and just outcome, uh, just as in justice. There is a just outcome to my having broken the standard. That is as it should be. It is necessary and appropriate. If something doesn't happen, then the system is broken. We recognize that justice requires an outcome when the standard is broken. That outcome for a broken standard is what's called vengeance. Vengeance is what happens when the righteous standard is broken and there's a penalty to pay. Years ago, there was a, a detective show on TV. I think, I think I was probably in my early 20s. Um, I, I remember Pam and I watching it, and, and I don't remember the name of the—I can remember the character. And he used to say, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. You see what he's saying? He's saying that the, that the time that you will spend in jail is the appropriate recompense, the outcome, for having broken the standard of righteousness. The two go together. Vengeance is, in fact, not a bad thing. It is a good thing. It's what has to happen if we're going to preserve righteousness. There has to be an outcome. Now, you go from here to the Old Testament, and you read about how that works. The Old Testament legal system is uh, much of it, not all of it, but much of it is what we call case law. And the easy way to remember what that means is, in this case, this should happen. In the event that, in the case that, a guy um, shoots his neighbor's ox, then he should have to repay the guy's ox and give him another one. Now, I made that up, but you understand. So it's called case law because it describes a case in which something happens and then specifies what should come as a result of that. For that reason, it is sometimes called if-then law. If I shoot my neighbor's ox, then I should replace etc., etc., okay? 
It is also sometimes called, this is a Latin term, lex talionis. Have you heard that before? It literally translates from the Latin, and I can't for the life of me figure this out, but it's, it's, it's what is. Lex talionis is the Latin that means the law of retaliation. It, it implies some sort of equivalency. Um, it should be lex talionis. The law of retaliation, uh, retaliation says there should be an equivalent punishment. The punishment should fit the crime. You've heard that before, huh? It shouldn't be just a random response where somebody gets ticked and uh, takes it out on the guy that did it. it. There should be equivalence there. The punishment should fit the crime. In the Old Testament, that takes the form of, you've heard this before, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is an expression of lex talionis. Let me read to you from Leviticus 24, verses 17 to 20. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done it, it shall be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. That is lex talionis. It is specified in the uh, Mosaic law. There is an equivalent punishment for the crime, eye for an eye. That is the law of retaliation, of equivalency. Um, However, what happens is we get to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's quoting there from Leviticus 24. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What in the world is going on here? Why has he suddenly changed from what he told us we should be doing in the Old Testament And now he's saying, do just the opposite. Where are we with this? Once again, vengeance is the appropriate response and the necessary response to preserving justice and righteousness. If there are no consequences to breaking the law, uh, then justice fails. It disappears. It is not done. If uh, If you break the law... If you do the crime, then you have to do the time or the system falls apart. Vengeance is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. Hey, let's take just a bit of a rabbit trail here, huh? Um, We're all agreed that, uh, now see, I'm saying this in America, and and I'll let you decide if it's true where you live, if you live somewhere else. But, But I think all of us would agree that our legal system is breaking down. There is an increasing level of lawlessness in our society. At least it sure seems like it, huh? Um, Now, maybe it's just getting covered better, but it seems like there is an increasing level of lawlessness. Is that then because there has been a failure of of this whatever, okay? There has been a failure of vengeance that the just 
punishment for the crime is not getting done, and therefore the system breaks down, that without vengeance, things are going to fall apart. Um, but, but let's go back. Let's go back and ask the question, why does Christ say what he says in the Sermon on the Mount? If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left. If they want your cloak, give them your uh, other garment. There's, there's a subtle difference between these two garments. Give them that too. What's he doing here? Uh, all right, I've got a proposed solution. Frankly, I scratched my head a little about, uh, about this. You listen to my proposed solution and then see if it makes sense to you, okay? Here's the deal. Israel was a theocracy. A theocracy is a government ruled by God. It's not a democracy where the people rule. It's not a monarchy. It is, it is not an autocracy. It is a theocracy. God rules. He makes up the laws. He says, here's what should be. Here's what should not be. And, at least as we see it in the case of the Mosaic Law, he specifies what the punishment should be for anyone who breaks the law. And the punishment should be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It should be equivalency. It should be the punishment fits the crime. Do you remember that verse I read? Uh, As he has done, so shall it be done to him. God set that up. For whom did he set that up? Up. You're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. Who did he give? <coughs> excuse me. Who did he give that to? He gave that to the nation Israel, and the most important word in that sentence is the word nation. He gave that to in the Mosaic Law as a national standard. This is what should happen in the Jewish courts, if you will. Now they had a system that is very different from ours, a legal system very different from ours, but God said. Lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is what should happen in the Jewish courts. When Christ speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, he is not speaking to the nation of Israel. He's addressing individuals and their behavior. He is not saying that vengeance is wrong. He's saying it is still appropriate. It's even necessary for an ordered society, but... As an individual, I am to operate on a different standard, on a different uh, scale. If my neighbor slaps me on the left cheek, I'm not to exact vengeance. I'm not to slap him on the left cheek. I'm to let it go uh, and leave that, Paul says, to the Lord. So I want to suggest that the reason that Christ says something very different from what we read God saying in the Old Testament, notice I didn't say Moses saying, it comes from God, very different from what God says in the Old Testament is because in those passages in the Torah, he is talking to the nation. He is setting up a national legal system. When he speaks to the crowd on the Sermon on the Mount, he is speaking to them as individuals. And he's saying, as individuals, you're to live by a very different standard. If someone had raised their hands and said, Messiah, I've got a question. And he said, okay, Shlomo, ask your question. And Shlomo says, should the government still enforce the laws? I am confident that Jesus would have said, yes, absolutely. They are in effect 
And in fact, Paul says in Romans 13, we're to obey the higher authorities. And he goes on to specify that when he says that, he's talking about the government. Um, He's talking about the emperor and those who work for him, and we are to obey them. Uh, Why? Because we're subject to them. So, lex talionis, the law of of a, a just punishment, is still in effect. It was in effect when Christ said what he did on the Sermon on the Mount. The difference is that in the Old Testament, in the Torah, he's talking to the nation in Leviticus 24, In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to individuals who would be his followers. Okay, let's have some fun now. Let's try this out. I'm driving driving my Miata and I'm having fun. Uh, By the way, the roads here are way too straight. Um, All of Greater Phoenix, which is a huge city, is laid out in right right angle streets. You can't have any fun at all. I'm going to have to get out and get up in the mountains and let that Miata do what it's capable of doing. But let's just say I'm driving down Bell Avenue and I stop at a stoplight. Some guy comes over and because I've got the top down, he grabs me by the collar and pulls me out of the car, jumps in and drives off with it. I have been carjacked. He has stolen my car. I get out my cell phone. I call the cops. And two hours later, he's arrested in Scottsdale. Um, The cops come to me and ask me, do you want to press charges? And I have to decide, now wait a minute, is this Leviticus 24 or is this the Sermon on the Mount? And the answer is, no, it'll never happen like that. The cops aren't going to ask me if I want to press charges. It has nothing to do with me. They're going to arrest the guy for a Grand Theft Auto, and it is a grand car. It's definitely Grand Theft Auto. He has broken the law. And what I think about this, and in fact, if I tell the cops, listen, um, he's a jerk, but he probably needed it to get to a dental appointment, so it's okay, let it go. They're going to say, I'm sorry, it's not up to you. He broke the law, and we're charged with enforcing the law. So they're going to arrest him, the DA is going to charge him, and he's going to go to jail, and I'm going to get my Miata back. So now let's try a different one. Um, Let's say I am the victim of medical malpractice. I recover um, and and there's no serious lasting damage, but it's clear that I spent, let's say, more time in the hospital than I should have or had to have a corrective surgery done. It went well, but, but I still had to have a second surgery. It was malpractice. Do I sue the doctor? See, he didn't break a law, but he still did me dirt. Do I sue the doctor for damages, for uh, malpractice? This is more than just an academic one. Um, this happened to us. I think it's been about oh, eight years ago. I've lost track. Pam had a heart attack. Um, she had chest pain. We, uh, she called, actually. The ambulance came and took her to the hospital. They ran all the tests. In fact, when, she, when they admitted her, they said, yeah, you're having a, a classic female heart attack. All the symptoms are those that a female has when there's a heart attack. Um, so th- they got her taken care of, put her in a room, put her on all kinds of monitors. And then the next day did some tests. At the end of the test, the doctor came in um, and said, you didn't have a heart attack. You had this. And, he, and I won't bore you with the details. Um, but he said, uh, you didn't have a heart attack. So next time this happens, take a couple of baby aspirin and you'll be fine. 
And I was sitting there at the time and I said, hey, are we okay? We're supposed to go to Phoenix. We lived in Oregon at the time. We're supposed to go to uh, Phoenix to visit the kids and the grandkids. Are we okay to go in five days? He said, absolutely. Go and have fun. Just know if you get this kind of pain again, take a couple of children's aspirin and it'll go away and there will be no permanent damage. So we did. Now, Pam stayed a few extra days. I had to get back and get some things done, and we were uh, needed to take care of the animals and so forth. So I came home, and uh, about 24 hours later, after I got home, I got a call from our older son who said, Hey, Dad, I wanted you to know—this is 2.30 in the morning—wanted you to know that I'm behind an ambulance and Mom's in the ambulance. Long story short, she had a second heart attack. The second heart attack was more severe and, and could have potentially been fatal— the good news is she got excellent medical care almost immediately and, uh, and recovered. She had to stay extra time. They wouldn't release her from the hospital to fly home as she was scheduled to do, which means we had to buy a second ticket. And there were all sorts of, frankly, relatively minor outcomes compared to what could have happened. Um, after she got home, uh, we thought, okay, we should let her, her doctor here know what happened. One thing leads to another, and I end up uh, uh, learning from a cardiologist, because she's got to go in for follow-up care, that something is amiss. In fact, the cardiologist in the hospital in Phoenix says this should not have happened. Again, long story short, when they ran those tests on her after the first heart attack, they missed something. Um, we were told it's not like it was middle-of-the-screen first-year med student, but they clearly should have seen that blockage. It was right there. In fact, the cardiologist who reviewed the films said, when I saw it, I called one of my partners over and said, look at this, and he looked at the screen and saw it immediately. This was clearly a case where the, the uh, test results, the pictures, whatever they were, were misread. Um, and she should never have had that second heart attack. If they had taken the measures they should have taken, she never would have had the second heart attack. Now what do we do? Do we pursue a malpractice action against the, the uh, doctor, uh, um, a medical doctor, who read the test results and the hospital cardiologist who came to Pam and me and gave us those test results because, as it turns out, he has a medical obligation to review those notes before he talks to us. Um, they both missed it. What do we do? Uh, we struggled with that. I, I mean, literally, I mean, for a couple of weeks. And in fact, I consulted some people, some believers who were friends that I thought could give me wide, wise counsel. One was an attorney, a Christian attorney. Uh, he didn't practice uh, this kind of law, trial law. In fact, he was a real estate attorney. But I thought, he'll look at this from a legal perspective, but through the lens of his mature faith. Another one was a doctor. Again, not a cardiologist, but uh, he was a neurologist, a brain surgeon. And I thought, he'll be able to look at this from the perspective of a doctor uh, who, hey, all of us make mistakes. What does he think about this? One of them was a nurse who, as it turns out, worked in the cardiology unit of that very hospital where the tests were misread. And the fourth was our pastor. Interestingly, the vote was three to one. Three of them said one thing and one of them said the other. Uh, now, I'm, I'm running out of time here. So what I'm going to do, this is a tease, isn't it? Huh? This is a cliffhanger. What did we decide? I'm going to tell you what we decided in part two and why we decided that 
you can then decide if you agree or disagree. If you would have done the same or something different, you can decide whether this fits Leviticus 24 or Romans 12, 19. Um, Don't avenge yourselves. Let it go and let God take care of it. So that's part two. Hey, I hope you'll join us.